to another edition of the Unicorns Podcast. This is a podcast series featuring business leaders, motivators, innovators, and general go-getters. Bianca Hooper is my guest today on the Unicorns. She's a Kiwi, but we won't hold that against her. She's a New Zealand director of Epic Agile, which is a global consultancy agency which specializes in full-service business agility transformation. With more than 60 coaches across three countries, Epic Agile works to help organizations get better. They implement business agility models and they mentor business leaders as they pivot to more nimble ways of working. A very warm welcome from across the Tasman to you, Bianca. Thanks very much, Justin. Great to be here and uh, spending some time with fellow brothers and sisters in Australia as well. And um, it almost must be beer o'clock there in, uh, in New Zealand at the moment. It certainly is. And I tell you, there's usually a penalty for organising a meeting at four o'clock on a Friday. Justin. <laughs> so, just so you know, you, you do now own your drink. <laughs> well, I have a rule in my office. I, I say it's un-Australian if we start putting business meetings in around about this time. So <laughs> I do apologise. For... Okay. Well, let's get into it. Let's, um, Bianca, maybe tell our listeners if we can start off a little bit about your background and how you got into this uh, agile space. Yeah, no worries. It's probably a little bit accidental. So I might start further back in time. Originally, I actually, um, back when I was much younger, was a leader in the New Zealand Cadet Forces. And I'm not sure if you have the equivalent in Australia. It's like a youth leadership military Mm -hmm. style, right? And so I started that in my very early youth, in my teens, and that taught me a huge amount about facilitation, about leadership, and about people. And as I approached my 20s, I started the real world and started a career in banking, and I started as a teller and did everything. (laughs) The real world, yeah. Uh, Yeah, and did everything from um, all of the the roles that you'd have in a a branch up to relationship management. Mm -hmm. I went to then the head office, and I did lots of roles in employee engagement, consumer sales and service. I did a stint in strategy and implementation. And all of that gave me a really good insight into the actual corporate world, the business world, and all of the interdependencies and relationships and complexities that sit within an organization and how you Mm -hmm. can or cannot create change in that space. Eventually, I went uh, out in my own doing uh, contracting in the project management space, and it was all in the OD space, which is kind of your org design area around competency frameworks, learning and development, um, doing different parts like establishing new parts of businesses or disestablishing as the case may be. And that gave me a really good deep understanding of change. And I suppose where I'm going with this is that eventually I ended up in one of those projects helping an organization create their agile practice. And I didn't actually know what agile was at the time. So that was an interesting journey. And uh, (laughs) There were seven Agile coaches working on that at the time who quickly gave me a good introduction and education in what agility was all about. And I suppose it was just a fait accompli from that point that I was Mm. deep into Agile and these new ways of working as a way to bring forward all of that stuff that I'd done early on around 
facilitation, leadership, people, change, um, deep organisation complexities and how do we make the world or at least, you know, the organisation's a better place. So that's how I landed in, in Agile in reality. Okay. And so now that you're working in agile transformation have you got any idea what it is yeah i've got a i've got a good couple of clues around what it is yeah yeah well okay so let's uh, yeah well let's um explain it people no doubt have heard about agile and agility practices within business transformation agile transformation how do you describe what it is yeah it's a really great call out you know transformation is often a thing that is going from state a to state b so when I talk about transformation, I don't really mean that because if you look at getting to a, an organization where you have agility across the organization, your business is agile, it is actually around being able to pivot and change. It's actually around being able to continuously evolve. So when we're talking about transformation, doing transformation work, it's actually about building in the systems, the mechanics, the capability, the capacity for the organization to continuously improve, not trans, not just transition from point A to point B. Otherwise, you'll be back in doing it again in two years' time. So it's about mm. building in those capabilities for continuous change and continuous evolution. That's really the key and the core about, you know, doing great transformations. So are you, um, you're, a, you're a director of the firm, but are you um, on the tools, so to speak? So you're going into... Uh, to businesses and actually um, physically helping them through um, your training? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So that might be anything from running training, doing facilitation, being deeply embedded with their transformation team, working on a transformation and guiding them through that process and helping them co-create what that looks like. So absolutely, Mm. um, it's part of who we are that we spend time on the tools um, to be able to share that with our clients, but also with our team as well. When you first get an inquiry that comes into the business from, say, business X, do they often know what they want or do they just sort of potentially say, we think we've got a problem, we don't really know what it is and we don't know how to fix it, can you help? Yeah, absolutely. And we also get the ones where we go, we want to do this thing, you know, they might have heard about and we want to go through this change without knowing exactly what that might mean as well. Mm. So I think you can have either here's the solution, we want some help, or here's a need, or we think we need to do something, but we need help to actually quantify what that is and describe that journey. So it can be anywhere on that scale in reality. And you often go in maybe thinking that you're going to be doing a, a, a piece of work off to the left, but the real problem is entirely separate, which is off to the right. Yeah, it definitely can be that way. And I guess part of what we try to do is, elicit that out early on so you know some right. of the steps yeah. we take early on is around unpacking exactly what the problem is and doing a bit more mm. of a current state assessment to dive into that and actually connecting people into that process so you know often we as leadership might have a view around what those problems are but when you start engaging with people and unpacking that further you can get a little bit more into that right hand space to go okay well what's what's behind some of this and we certainly have to mm. look at it from multiple layers how long Bianca is a typical, I know I'm about to ask how long is a piece of string, but if um, you you get a a project, please come in and help this company. Give us a sense of how long that transformation journey might take from, say, the the smallest bit of of work to the longest. How, How long does that take? That's a good question. The old string, you know, I do have an answer for how long is a piece of string. 
That's probably the same answer that I'll give here. It's twice as long and from one end to the middle. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Very good. Thank you. Uh, to give you a bit of a guide, look, depending on what the organization is doing, depends on how long it might take. If you're looking at an organization, let's say, and they've got, you know, 1,500 people, you know, we've done a, a transformation with them in terms of introducing tribes and chapters. That took somewhere in the vicinity of 18 months. Another organization that's much smaller, say at the 250 mark, they might be able to establish their first phase within three months. And then that's having people working in new configurations um, and trying new ways of working. But the journey takes mm. longer to embed it. So the problem that we sometimes see is that organizations will go, what's the shortest possible time that we can fit this in? <laughs> and you know, you're always run out of road. And the first thing that gets chopped off is things like training and embedding and coaching and that kind of support. Uh, they're the things that actually help people to embed it and improve it and build that capability. So it's a dangerous game when we start going, what's the shortest route that we could take? Uh, yes. so Is there a shortcut here? Yeah, no silver pills, I'm afraid. You um, you dropped a couple of uh, buzzwords there, tribes and chapters. And I think there is uh, there are some buzzwords in um, in this sort of work. What are, what are tribes and chapters? Yeah, it's a great point and, and often it's fraught with these buzz, buzzwords really. So let's talk about tribes and chapters for a second. A tribe is a collection of squads or teams because that's another buzzword too. So a collection of teams who are working towards a common mission. So they might be working towards a particular product or feature or service in the market and often there might be dependencies within those squads and they work together to be able to achieve that. It is a mechanism that is only needed when you have multiple squads. So if you only had one or two teams at play, it's not a mechanism that you need. So it is a scaling mechanism. So it helps mm -hmm. from an organization perspective and focus perspective. Chapters is when you look at the horizontal. And I say horizontal because you might hear different buzzwords out there around matrix organizations where work is organized on the vertical and you'll have leaders like tribe leaders who look at what the work is and what they're delivering. On the other, on the horizon, I suppose, on the other axis, you have people who are committed to looking after the capability and making sure that we have continuous improvement from a capability perspective in the organization, that we're thinking about what types of capability we need in order to achieve the things that we want to do in the future and are building that and keeping that community you know, growing and using what they might feel as best practice or emergent practice, whatever it is. So mm -hmm. chapters look after capability, tribes look after delivery, and they work together to achieve the organization outcome. And it's just one standing mechanism. Okay. Well, what are some of the warning signs to look out for uh, in any business when it might become apparent that some agile work is required? Uh, there's some common hallmarks. One is where you get lots of blockages in the system and agile actually might not be the only solution. Ways of working, I think, might be a mm -hmm. better term because you can have agile and you can have lean and design thinking or human-centered um, things. So a change in our ways of working might be that you've got blockages in the system, that it's chaotic, that there's lots of things going and people don't know what's where or who's who or who's doing what. So that could be an indicator. Another indicator is when your team is telling you that there's no sustainable pace 
So there's too much right, on okay. yeah. we're burning out. That can also be an indicator. Uh, culture can be another indicator in terms of how teams are feeling overall and how they're engaged. If they're feeling empowered, if they feel like they have the ability to come up with the best ways of doing things and control that, or whether they're the simple recipients of a whole lot of mess that has to be then sorted. So those are probably some of the um, symptoms that you might see that actually we might need a new the way. Red of flags, yeah. That's the red flags, yeah. And is it your experience um, that these issues normally develop from the top down or is it the other way around? Like how, how are these problems manifested through a business? I suppose the easiest way to look at it is if you were diagnosing where the problems come from is actually to put everything on a horizontal and look at the flow. So if we go straight from one end, which is around setting the strategy and what needs to happen in order for those ideas around the strategy to get into things that we might do that then get into things that get funded, that then get into teams that do stuff. Eventually, at some point, we need to have something in the hands of our customers to be able to make that difference or deliver that value. The longer and more complicated that pipe is, the harder it's going to be for that to occur quickly and when you need to in the market. The more convoluted, if you think of it as a series of pipes, the more convoluted and crooked it is, the harder it is going to be for things to get in there. The more checks and balances that you try and put in place to mm. manage the flow, the worse it might get. So a lot of it is all around trying to look at the whole system rather than whether it sits more at one end or the other end. It can be like a stream, though. So if you solve a problem somewhere in that stream and it still is a problem, you need to start looking further up the stream to see what else might exist. So there's certainly yeah. an element of what's upstream. And if you look at the New Zealand market, um, in particular where uh, you're working, what's the appetite for organisational transformation uh, within New Zealand at the moment? Yeah, no problem. I'll just add one more point to that last point, though. Often when we look at agile and agile ways of working, people concentrate only mm. on solving teams and introducing new ways of working to the teams. That in isolation mm -hmm. is a bit of a recipe for disaster because what will happen is, is if they yep. still have the same problems from the upstream, um, then that can create tensions where they're trying to do things in a new way, but they're getting stopped mm. either from not getting the flow of work or the clarity of decisions or whatever it is. So that can create frustration. So you do need to look at the team and the whole system as opposed to just trying to change the teams. Uh, and, the, and the New Zealand um, market, how's that going at the moment? Yeah, there's definitely a um, big appetite for change. You can imagine that there's not very many companies out there, if at all, that aren't looking very heavily around what they do and how they need to do it to respond to the market. So there's mm -hmm. lots of demand in terms of how might we do things differently. I, I think there's a really interesting thing around companies often have good appetite for a change or from, from an organisation, let's do a transformation or let's do things differently. Once you unpack that, though, and actually look at this is the level of change that might occur, that's when people start getting a little bit of cold feet. So that's probably, you know, and I'm sure that's the same for any country is where people realise they have ambitions for great transformation. But when you start looking at it and going, OK, well, that means that this needs to change and you need to change in this way to be able to affect that, the change is often bigger than what people think. And that's where some of the challenges mm. come from. So what if you wanted to lead your own transformation? What are, what are some of the, the key things that you need to get right? Yeah, I think there's probably about four of them. The, the first one, which is often overlooked, as in completely ignored, is around capacity. 
So any organisation that wants to go through a transformation, and we talked before about building the capability for continuous you know, yeah. evolution, that kind of stuff, is you need capacity. You actually need to look at, in order for us to create and execute this change, what is the stuff that we need to stop doing to give our people and our leaders capacity to make the decisions, to design the change, to put the change in play, build the capability and all those right. things. Yeah. Often completely left on the table. Let's just try and, you know, have the plane in the air and we'll just strip off the wings as we're going and it'll be all fine. <laughs> so a little bit of, you know, not a little bit, a lot of capacity is one of the four things that I would say, make yeah. sure if you can it, build capacity in the system. <laughs> And so just on that, is it, is it often the case of it's like, listen, we're just too busy. We just don't have time for this. Sorry. Like, because <laughs> we, we, we don't have we don't have capacity. We like, and that's the problem. Yeah, yeah. And that, that can definitely be a problem. And often, even if they go, well, you know, we're going to put capacity aside. It's a real struggle when you're in the organization. And obviously, you're already at, you know, maximum speed. Um to then stop so often in transformations it can be slowed down because they thought they had capacity but actually when you start looking at the level of stuff they need to do they don't and actually slows down the transformation as well so it's a it's a really um surprising factor for people trying to manage that is one of the bigger challenges for it yeah okay so capacity is one what are the other three okay three alignment is one and that talks about making sure that before you start your transformation, get all your leaders together and whoever key people are going to support this change and get aligned on language. Even what we mean by agile, if you're using agile, right? What does it mean? What's the intent? What's the vision? To your point before, what are the problems that we're trying to solve? Like get clear on that. What does good look mm. like? Doing all of that stuff up front is really important and creating the time and space to do it uh can't be underestimated it's not a two-hour workshop it's a couple of days to <laughs> actually go through those things and, and do that mm -hmm. that's the second one uh third one is around you know just having a cross-functional transformation team so when you're doing a transformation having a group of people who are helping to co-create and work through that transformation is far better than having one person who's running the transformation like a project it's very mm. easy if somebody goes, mm. well, we've got a project that's doing the transformation and then there's the project manager out there in the cold trying to knock on the door of the leaders and go, hey, we need to do some stuff. So far better to bring <laughs> those leaders into a room and go, hey, I'm you so are busy. I've got no capacity. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So it's far better that those leaders are in the room working together to create that change. Now, there is a couple of people who can be left out of this process and that need to be in. Like if you want to be really successful with that transformation team, bring in your finance business partner, bring in your people and culture business partner. If you've got a change manager in the business, leverage that skill set, particularly if they're strong in comms and bring that in. Those are key skills. There's no point in trying to plug them in at the end of the process and go, cool, we've just kind of really upset every apple cart you own, but hope you're good with it and, and let's go. They've got great advice. Bring it in early so that you can yeah. factor it in along the way. So that's probably the third most important thing. The, the last is around leaders. And leaders are often um, not, not neglected, they're there to kind of help create the change, but make sure that they're given as much support as the people they are supposed to support. That might include training. Mm. It might be including giving them that capacity we were talking about, 
it might be giving them some coaching support so they can talk because often the people in a transformation that have to change the most, and I'm talking about letting go of power, you know, giving other people yes. decisions. Well, even, even buy into the process, right? Buy if there's, yeah. if there's If there's skepticism from the start, that can be a huge, yes. by some people, that can be a huge impediment to actually getting anything done. Yes. And what's the frame? How does it apply in my world? It's very different from Fred's world over there. You know, that's IT. They, they've been doing this for years. My world is different. You know, you need to take the time and space to um, help them through the journey as well. It's like the old oxygen mask on the plane, right? So you need to be able to give them some oxygen um, before you expect them to go and be all one with the change and support others on the journey. And also look at things like their KPIs. There's no point in having KPIs that completely silo your leadership team members. They need to be able to work together and have common goals for it to be really effective. Yeah, uh, the, great insights and thank you. So generally, how does it all end when a project, a transformation um, comes to an end? What, is, what does that look like? What, what happens? Yeah, the end is an interesting word to use, right? Because if we're building in continuous evolution, you expect things to change. But what There's you no can, end. There is no end, right? Um, but there is two, two important moments. And the first moment is called a signifying, a signifying moment. And actually, this is a phrase that I've borrowed off a colleague and, and good friend I worked with, which is um, Karen Lucis, and she called it the signifying moment. And I think it's really important. And that is, what is the signifying moment in which we change? It's like the changeover point where we're in our new teams or we're starting our new ways of working and make that significantly important. So make it a, a, a cultural event, make it something that people can remember and connect on. And in that, have that feeling of connection a shift, a moment of that shift and a step forward into the new direction. So that signifying moment is really important. So that might be you launching your new teams or ways of working or new ceremonies or events that you have, whatever mechanics are part of that transformation. The second thing is around having a moment in time, and this should be a regular cadence of it, where you mm. reflect on the change. How has it gone? It might be three months down the track. It might be six months down the track. So then pressure testing the system, let's go back, let's do a retrospective, which is one of those buzzwords to say, how has it gone? What is the feedback and in involving people in that as well? So how are you finding it? Is it addressing the pain points that you, you, know, you raised before? Mm, what's working well, point. what's not working well? And pivot, you'll have to make some small pivots from then as well. So you still wanna bake in that ability to constantly improve. People often talk about having a good work culture or a, on the flip side, a bad culture. It's toxic yeah. or, you know, that'd they'd be a good cultural fit or no, I don't, I don't think we'll hire them because of, you know, culture. I mean, where do you, Bianca, sit as, as an expert in this field? Where do you sit on workplace culture? Look, workplace culture is the most critical factor. If you've heard the saying, people are our greatest asset, particularly mm. in, you know, we're in the knowledge, knowledge worker age, people are our greatest asset. And so the culture is one of those biggest things. There was a, a study that was done where it said that at least one third of job seekers would pass up that perfect job if the culture was a bad fit. And 72% of workers were cited as saying the culture is a factor in influencing their decision to work at a given company. 
So it's one of the biggest things on the table to be able to support any transformation that you're doing should have an element of improving and building upon your culture because whatever you do, whatever you put in place, culture is like an elastic band. You can put new ways of working in place, but if your culture is one that there is blame or fear in the organization, people will change their ways of working to make themselves safe. It is part mm. of our you know, makeup to be safe. And so if we don't have that in our culture, then we will change our ways of working. And that might include, you know, okay, well, I'm not going to go to that stand up or I'm not going to go and do that or I'm not going to share that piece of information uh, because somebody might be fearful of what the outcome is or I won't challenge something. So it's one of the most success. I suppose it is the biggest accelerator or decelerator for your change is your culture and leadership. And I say leadership because leadership is a big driver for it. Well, that was that. That's my next question. Who is responsible? Is it is it the responsibility of all staff, or is it from from the the leaders, the executive of of driving a good office culture? How how is that formed? Well, if we unpack culture, it's made up of things like our traditions, our beliefs, our behaviours, and so everyone has a role to play in that. Depending on the maturity of the organisation and your culture as it stands might depend on those that have the greatest influence on it. So in some organizations, it's very empowered. Everybody can, you know, hold that culture and call people out if the behavior is not the best. And other cultures where it's not so mature and you might have more of a fear base, then people won't call it out. So leaders certainly play a massive role in not only looking at how they act, because that has a big play around how people feel and how people react. That's a big um, a big one. But we also have to look at, well, what is the culture that we want? Now, everyone should be included in crafting that. So if you're going on a culture transformation and you're going, what's our first step? Your first step is around defining what your great culture should be and getting everyone involved in that process. And if you can't get everyone, get across representation. So people who can be the champions for it and take it forward because it can't be done in isolation. So once you've crafted what that ideal culture looks like, then the story is, okay, well, what is the culture in reality? And the culture is the lowest form of behavior that's accepted. So whatever is the lowest form of behavior, that is your culture. Uh, So you need to be aware and to look at that and then start a journey about how do you change it? Because how we, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? how we observe or how we feel culture or how it comes to life, how we experience it, and that's the word I was looking for, how we experience culture, is a result of everything, the processes we go through. Let's say, for example, that we want everyone to be really fast and really efficient. We want lean. We want to be able to just do things very quickly and easily. And we have a 20-step sign-off process that hasn't been looked at since the 1980s We are still forcing people to work in a way that is not reflective of the culture. So even our processes can have an influence. Yes. Our leaders can have influence. So there's a few things. So obviously, Bianca, Epic is working with companies of all different shapes and sizes, um, both in Australia and overseas uh, in New Zealand. Can Can you give us a little snapshot or a little flavor of some of the businesses that uh, that you've helped in New Zealand? Uh, so if we look at in New Zealand, we're really, really proud to be uh, supportive of Countdown and Countdown X and their transformation they've been through mm. and they've been mm. through this 
Federation doing some great things to help make sure that Kiwis are fed and and, and happy. So I think that's um, <laughs> it's very important. Yep. Very important. And, you know, they've done some amazing things, particularly during the pandemic. Uh, we've also been able to support companies like uh, Victor and Freedom, which is a um, payment company. And uh, Victor, of course, is our um, one of our largest um, electricity distributors. So that okay. would be yep. snapshots. And, and obviously, we've done some work to support some of our banking clients as well. Yeah. So you're not um, sector, so you are sort of sector agnostic. You, you work across um, all sorts of all sorts of industries. Yeah, absolutely. And also we have, um, you know, lots of smaller clients as well that we support. So we're not, um, uh, we're not, uh, what's the word, um, discriminating. We love all of our yeah, clients. Not, not just the big end of town. Not, not just the big end of town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any organisation yeah. that is looking at doing a people-led transformation, they're the ones that we want to help and, and partner with. Well, it's been wonderful catching up with you, Bianca. Uh, I've really enjoyed uh, hearing more about the great work that Epic is doing and some of your observations on modern day workplaces. It's been it's been a real pleasure having you on the program. That's Bianca Hooper, one of the directors of Epic Agile from New Zealand. Thank you very much for coming onto the show. Thank you, Justin. I look for those uh, two beers that you owe me. <laughs> Thank you. I'll get them going now. Oh,